0: This is the Yahoo Finance Sportsbook Podcast.
1: All right, welcome back to Sportsbook. And as you know, if you are a loyal listener, we love to talk golf on this podcast. We are in the thick of the NFL season and the baseball postseason, but it's too tempting to return to golf one week after the Ryder Cup wrapped up. And of course, in the studio, I've got my golf colleague, Miles Udland. Hi, Miles. Hello. And it's time for us to talk about the Ryder Cup and all the drama that happened there and to zoom out a little bit, time to look at the overall last season in golf and everything that happened and we have a special guest to join us for just that it's Greg Norman hi Greg Hi, how you doing Dan
2: I'm a neutral by the way I'm Aussie so I can talk America I can talk Europe right. I can talk whatever you want
1: <laughs> terrific great well uh, gosh Miles and I have, have so much we want to ask you but let's start with the Ryder Cup because it did just wrap up and you know, for us in the States, so much of the drama was the story. You know, it wasn't simply, up oh, another Ryder Cup and, and the U.S. lost. It was, oh, supposedly infighting on the U.S. team, and and why did it not go so well for the U.S.? And I'd be interested in uh, your take. I mean, obviously, you, you haven't played in a Ryder Cup, but, you know, you, you know, having having been the icon you were in golf, I'd love to even get your opinion on the importance, or maybe lack thereof, of the Ryder Cup.
2: Uh, look, uh, for first of all, the importance of the Ryder Cup is extremely high. I mean... Ever since the inception, you can't compare the Ryder Cup to the Presidents Cup because the Presidents Cup doesn't have the history of what the Ryder Cup has. Um, when 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 you got away from UK playing the US to Europeans playing the US, now you be having more of a balanced field, right? And it became more equitable and it became more competitive. And I think that's elevated the Ryder Cup to the next level. So. When America gets beaten and they got fair and squarely got their rear ends handed to them on Sunday, right? There's there's no excuses, right? Um, The Americans are out there. They wanted to win the Ryder Cup just as much as the Europeans want to win the Ryder Cup. There's no question about it. None of this fatigue factor, all that stuff. They played too much golf. So the European team, they've played the same amount of golf. At the end of the day... I think it's a good thing what happened to them because on paper, they were overwhelming favorites, Mm. right? And when you're overwhelming favorites, you become a little bit complacent in the locker room because you think, okay, my team is playing fantastically well. Everybody leading up and you look at the European team, not all of them were playing great golf at that time. So it all then comes down to team spirit. And who wants it the most? And it was close. It looked like it was going to trend a little bit to where America might pull off a pretty incredible victory on Sunday. But then all of a sudden, the Europeans just put the hammer down and just went at it. And uh, so, you know, at the end of the day, like I said, I think it's good. I think when the Ryder Cup comes back to America, it's going to be more incentivized. The players are going to be more incentivized because
0: they don't want to have the embarrassment of going back-to-back losses. I'm curious, um, as a professional golfer where it's a very individual sport, how uh, players are able to or not able to get into the team aspect, because I think a lot of the media fallout in the U.S. is we think about football and basketball Mm -hmm. and explicitly team sports, Um, but it seems obvious that there was an inability for some members of the U.S. team to kind of buy into the, the team aspect of it. And, you know, obviously Tiger Woods has famously been an underperformer in the Ryder Cup. And I'm just curious, uh, how did you, you know, as a professional playing alone on tour, transition to being a member of a team, whether it was at President's Cup, Dunhill Cup, uh, a lot of other things that used to happen, um, team events, you know, outside mm-hmm. the Ryder Cup, which they don't really exist anymore. Okay, also I, a I have
2: a different point of view, okay? okay? Now, we do plan individual sport. But as a professional golfer at the upper echelon, you do have a team, right? Your team is your caddy, your team is your coach, your team is your mental coach, your team is your support team, your physiotherapist, your masseuse, your, your nutritionalist. whoever it is, you have a team around you. So, when you have a team meeting about going into a certain event on a Monday or a Sunday or a Tuesday, okay, how are we going to attack this week, guys? How are you feeling, Greg? Are you feeling great? Is any part of your body hurting? You're going to go, yes, no, yes, no. Why? So you consolidate everybody's thoughts and opinions as, as team members to, okay, Greg, go ahead and do what you need to do, and we're going to try and do everything around you. Team sport with the Ryder Cup, team sport with the NFL, team sport with the NBA or any other team sport is exactly the same thing, right? So you get the information from your team in the locker room and you say, okay, I'm a team player. I'm going to go do this, irrespective of whether I don't like who I'm going to play with or mm-hmm. I wasn't asked who to play with. Mm-hmm. If the captain makes a decision, you have to respect that decision because you are on that team and when you're on a team, you have to respect the processes and the implementation of the selected captain who's been out there for years ahead. So at the end of the day, um, you know the infighting, I think it's an easy excuse, mm-hmm. right? The infighting that I'm hearing about with uh, two good friends of mine, Brooks and DJ, is totally fake news, right? Because I know that for a fact, because as, as I was walking into the studio, I got up-to-date information from from the sources, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, so. I don't believe that stuff. I don't believe that there's this internal fighting going on because at the end of the day, I don't believe you should be looking for excuses. You should be looking for reasons why go work on them, fix them, and win next time.
1: Greg, uh, Miles and I love to look at golf ratings and talk about the future of the sport and You know a lot of people in and around golf say they need to make the sport more popular and more appealing to young people now the retort to that is people say oh no just leave it the young people will kind of age into it Mm -hmm. but everyone says well you know there's a lot of young stars right now that helps but this past season what we mostly find ourselves saying is well it's hard enough to get people who aren't huge golf fans to watch golf tigers return helps, so i want to get your take on tiger but also i'd ask people say it's only the majors that people care about. I mean, unless you're a huge golf fan, you're not watching, and then it's hard enough to even get them to watch the majors. But beyond the majors, do people care? So we're talking about the Ryder Cup. What's your take there? And, and I'd love to get your, your take on Tiger's return to form.
2: Well, look, uh, specifically the first part of your question. Um, the question could be put a different way. Is there a saturation of golf mm. on TV? you got the Golf Channel. You've got uh, Thursday to Sunday golf tournaments 32 weeks a year maybe a bit longer. I'm not too sure what the schedule is. Then you throw in the European schedule. Then you throw in the Asian schedule. Then you throw in all the other stuff. And all of a sudden, now you can watch golf 50 weeks a year, maybe longer. Wow. So when you sit back and you go, okay, the NFL's 16 games, right? So 16 weeks a year. It'd be different than 50 mm. weeks a year. So people have a tendency, okay, um, the build up to the NFL season's right. this way. My team is doing this. We have, you know, you know. Pick number one, pick number thirty. How's he going to do? So you can step back, and I actually believe that um, nowadays, with the getting the younger people to the game, is like Top Golf. Right? Yes. Top Golf has really what 21 million visitors to Top Golf last year. It's great fun, by the way. It's great, great fun. fun. I've been there. I've done it. I've actually you know tried to get involved with Top Golf. But how do you get? Why do they go there? They're going with their friends. They love the the entertainment side. They're listening to the music. They they're connected. And they're having a few cocktails. And it's yeah. fun to whack balls. And it's fun to whack balls with the quasi-competition out there, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. So, But how do we get a percentage of those, $21 million to to Greengrass Golf? Right. That is the conversion you've got to work on. So from a millennial standpoint, what do you do? You give them connectivity. You give them what they carry around all the day. There's two devices <laughs> on here. Mine's in my briefcase. There's the two devices here, which is... Whatever they want, whenever they want, whether it's just three-second snackable information on what they want or whether they want to go on to YouTube or whatever it is, give
1: it to them. Just not at the Masters, Miles. Give it yeah. to them. Why but, you know,
2: here it is at the Masters. You can take your cell phone, right? I, when I played on the PGA Tour, you were never allowed to have a cell phone and you weren't allowed to have cameras, now you look at a PJ Tour, everybody's got their That's iPhone right, or right. Android oh, up yeah. there going, taking photographs, so why wouldn't you be sitting on your couch look instead of looking at your iPhone when the guy's right <laughs> here. Why show they were there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it's gonna be a process of getting through there. Um, it's, it, it, with Shark Experience is what we're doing today is giving them that opportunity to enhance their experience on the golf course whichever way they want. They can choose music, uh, sports, entertainment, mm. Yahoo News, yep. Um, Oath products, all that stuff that we have on their content, you can pick it, you can choose
1: it. And we should uh, tell listeners Shark experiences videos that play in golf carts, at certain golf courses, and disclaimer. I guess we Yahoo Finance have some of our videos yes, in those golf I carts. I heard that yeah. exactly, and yeah.
2: we have we we put speakers in the in the roof of the uh, golf carts, so yeah. it's all ergonomically positioned, right? So you can crank it up, you can play whatever music you want. Anyway, we recognize that as the opportunity to reach down. And believe it or not the baby boomers are loving it just as much because everybody who goes to the golf course want to yeah. follow Yahoo Finance. They want to follow what's going on in the news. They can look up there, they can see the ticker going across the bottom and say GE's up 10% today <laughs> yeah. so, so I'm it's really feeling down. good.
0: You'd be you'd be amazed <laughs> it's probably down. Yeah. <laughs> you'd be amazed at the conversations that I have with people because I I'm just a public player there where you get, you know, paired with someone and I say, "Oh, I work at Yahoo Finance." And they're like, "Oh, Yahoo Finance. I'm all over Yahoo Finance." But um, thinking about the the casual player um, and you, you know, are involved in a lot of golf courses. Do you think that things like uh, nine hole, like encouraging people to play nine holes, um, or making the tee sheet such that it's only nine hole outings, and maybe a few people want to play eighteen, but that would be more appealing. Building a twelve hole golf course, making the hole bigger, which oh, remember is remember that you know, hack the, golf. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, I'm just curious on these initiatives of changing the sport that the casual golfer plays relative to the pros. Because, you know, I go out with my brothers and they think they're good players. But, you know, ultimately we end up all over the place. You lose six Mm -hmm. balls, you go home upset. And it's like, why did I just waste five hours uh, getting annoyed? So what are the kinds of things that I think uh, you think might work for the, um, you know, let's say 10 and above handicap type? Well,
2: look, you hit on one very relevant subject, which is the time to play. Okay, you know, and I'm in the golf course design business. I've opened 105 golf courses around the world. When we go and do a um, design presentation, we actually offer 12 holes. Now, most of the developers are stuck in this philosophy. Okay, it's got to be a par 72, mm-hmm. 18-hole golf championship course. style, championship okay. golf. But when you spell out the the ROI for them, if we reduce it to 12 holes, and if it's a residential community or if it's a resort development. And you show them, okay, eliminate six holes and we can design 12 holes where if somebody wanted to play six holes mm-hmm. and not nine, somebody wanted to play 12 holes and not six, or somebody wanted to play 18, you can do on the footprint or within that footprint. And their their ROI goes out dramatically and their annual costs uh, way down of maintaining the golf course. So it becomes a more of a sustainable platform from an economic standpoint. Mm-hmm. They go, oh yeah, why not? But the problem is most people who build golf courses today think they can have a tournament there.
0: Yeah,
2: Great. Well, that's the goal. And that's the goal, the ultimate goal, because that's their greatest exposure. But to have a tournament on there, it's additional cost. You have to go in from infrastructure standpoint. So it's not like you can say, yes, that's the way to do it with 12 holes. There are other ways of doing it, too. I think they should reduce, uh, change the dress code, right? Mm-hmm. If you're going to a resort place, I've been to them where I've played in just, my swimsuit and barefoot Mm -hmm. and having fun and drinking tequilas walking around the golf course you know and it's just it's actually a cool experience I've been to golf courses where I won't go into but other things are exposed and people are loving it right (laughs) they're absolutely loving it and and it's just let it go there if it's going to go there and people are happy to come out there and spend time with their friends and if they want to play Instead of a foursome, they want mm-hmm. to play an eightsome. Mm-hmm. Let
0: them go, as long as they keep up the speed and don't hold up anybody, mm-hmm.
2: let them go do what they
0: want to do. And then uh, just a quick follow-up on that, like the design aspect of it, because I think right now there's You know, I mean, we're kind of coming out of a time when the penal school of design became very popular, and I guess what's your take on the, uh, you know, the evolution of golf course design, where you think it could go to better serve the more casual player, because, you know, a couple years ago, I went to Pinehurst for the first time, and I played number two, and I was like, this is great, I'm playing my own ball, and even though I'm shooting 90, it still feels like a lot of fun, because it's wide open, there's Mm -hmm. a lot of areas, uh, runoff and and wide fairways and things, Um, and just how, you know, where you see the state of golf course design.
2: Well, I think the state of golf course design is in a better place today than where it was in the 80s and 90s, for sure. I mean, when they were building 400 golf courses a year, year on year in the United States at an unsustainable pace mm-hmm. and an understand- unsustainable economic outlook, it was wrong. And you yeah, know, everybody, everybody was over-leveraged then, right? Everybody thought they had so much money it was never going to disappear. So they were building golf courses for $20 million and you should have built it for eight they'll build a 100,000 square foot clubhouses instead of 30,000 square foot clubhouses so the the cost of maintaining these behemoths was just stifling right gfc hits boom what's the first thing to happen disposable income dries up and golf was the really the, the one that paid the price the hardest a lot more sophistication right now in the design philosophy whether it's 12 holes a lot more sophistication in Water usage, electricity mm-hmm. usage, sustainable methods implanted today, where 20 years down the line, it's not going to be have the impact that it's had today in 2018 because of the byproduct of mm-hmm. you know uh, the you know, 20, 30 years ago. Uh,
1: speaking of people who own courses wanting to hold tournaments there, I have to ask you, and we don't have to get necessarily political, but the newness of having a sitting u.s president who owns 16 golf courses mm-hmm. i mean I, I would i would want to get your take on what that means for the sport i mean when president trump was first elected uh, i was on this roundtable on the golf channel and we were talking about this the idea of you know forget all the politics just the fact that i mean of course we've had presidents who liked to golf but this is different this is unprecedented i mean everyone reporting on how often he goes golfing but just the fact that the business connection of the current president owns so many golf courses and then when you talk to pro golfers, again, regardless of politics, they all seem to like him in a golf sense. I mean, he's bought up distressed courses, made them better. What is your take on, on Trump from a golf perspective and what it means for the sport? Maybe it means nothing for the sport.
2: Well, from a Trump organization standpoint, I think it's fantastic. Right, He recognizes the value in what golf can bring. Right, And so what is that economic value? Is that taking a golf course that is or has been distressed? put his brand on it, and then all of a sudden elevates it to another level and it becomes successful, fantastic. That's what business is, 101, right? Okay, I'm, I want to make money out of something. I'm not going to buy something to lose money. So he recognizes the value of his brand. So as the president of the United States, you want to go back through since I've been in, in the United States since 81, I think just about every president's played golf. <laughs> I know I've played with four of them, Right. So um, the only one I haven't played with is Obama, so I know the Bushes love to play golf, Clinton loved to play golf, right? And Donald Trump loves to play golf. Um, So at the end of the day, I think it's great for the game. And everybody, no matter who's in the White House, right, if they don't do what the other party or the other side thinks they should be doing, they're gonna lambaste them, right? It's just, you know, I I make this great statement. You know, at the end of the day, don't let your emotions overtake your intelligence. You know, just just accept it for what it is. He loves the sport. He loves to play the game of golf. And, you know, what? quite honestly, America's doing pretty damn good right now.
1: When you mentioned top golf, you know I appreciate you're careful to draw the distinction, and I'm always giving this caveat too between trying to get more people to play golf—that's the recreational side—and mm-hmm. then separately but related, there's the pro side. Uh, I would ask—I'm not sure—we got your take on on Tiger and what that has meant for the sport, but also which of these young stars today interests you most.
2: Um, look, I'll get to the Tiger question, but there's so many good young players that I'm interested in today. Um, I'm intrigued to watch Rory. Because Rory was th- that the the pinnacle pinnacle of what, where it was where he was with major championships after major championships to where he is today, not really knowing where he is today, right? Um, you know, so you want to watch that journey because I'm a big fan of Rory's, right? I like DJ, you know, I like his demeanor. I think he's the, the specimen athlete of all specimens out there who play the game of golf. And uh, I like Brooks Kepka, I like Jordan Spieth. Um, you know, there's uh, Tommy Fleetwood brings a little bit of flair to it. You know, and then you got the the, the guy who's a very stoic guy, Molinari from Italy, right? Yes. A resurgence for that country, right? And then you know, so I see a, a really good basin of great young talent there today, and a lot of those guys there today, unintimidated by Tiger. Right? because they didn't grow up from 2000 to 2018 where Tiger or 15 where Tiger was the dominant player. Right, They never went toe-to-toe with him. So they respected him and watched him, but now they're out there doing their thing and they're teeing up next to Tiger. Yeah. They're, they're not intimidated. So that 15th club in Tiger's bag is gone. Right, So now all of a sudden Tiger has to produce his wherewithal. Now, I think he's done an excellent job of going from where he was over a year ago saying I may never play a game of golf again to where he is today. Massive leap, quite honestly, in 12 months. God bless him because he did everything right. And then he stepped up the plate and won. So it's good for him. Um, There's no question. It's good for the game of golf. There's no question. But I hope they don't put all their eggs in one basket Mm -hmm. again and just be all tiger and forget about all this other wonderful, fantastic talent, even coming out of Korea and Japan and and South Africa there's an unbelievable and Australia there's unbelievable amount of talent f- bubbling up everywhere around the world and I'd hate to see them get lost again mm-hmm. in that
0: tiger talk so it sound, do you think that the the fields now the professional fields now are deeper um, week to week on the PGA Tour uh, than they were 30 years ago. We've asked, asked a couple of golfers about this, gotten a few different responses, but um, you know, how do you think about the, the depth of field and you know, the 100th ranked player in the world now versus the 100th ranked player in you know, 1985?
2: Well, I'll, I'll, I can only speak for my experiences out there. So from when I first started playing Game of Golf, let's just say from the mid-80s to the mid-90s, I had a really good 15-year run at the Game of Golf during that time we probably had 8 to 12 guys that were comparable to each other mm-hmm. right each one of us could have easily could have held the number 1 title in the world anytime so anywhere we went to play in the world of those 12 there was at least 3 to 4 or 4 to 5 of us playing in those events because you know you get paid appearance fee because you want to promote the game and you're trying to you're an independent contractor you want mm-hmm. to make money So everywhere we went, we were going against, if I was number one, I was going up against number two, four, and six. And two, four, and six wanted to beat number one. So there was this constant, constant stimulant of, I gotta be ready, I gotta play, I've gotta be sharp. And then, you know, from when Tiger came on the scene, it was like a one-man show, right? Mm -hmm. And so all of a sudden, these guys were now, who were equally, you know, knocking on the door with him, weren't getting the recognition. Vijay, Ernie, all yeah. that. You can down the list. For, yeah. Yeah, Everybody. Now it's a different story. Mm-hmm. Now you have again eight to twelve guys from all around the world. Look at the Ryder Cup, you know. There was there was a plethora of players there that you can go anytime and say, he could be number one, he could be number one, he could be number one, no problem. So I think it's the state of professional golf is the healthiest it's ever been since the mid eighties, is my opinion.
1: Right. Wow, the state of professional golf, health, the healthiest it's been great. since the mid eighties. You heard it here first, Miles.
0: Fine. I agree. I I look, I'm consuming more PJ tour content than uh, anybody anybody <laughs> you by a <laughs> long shot. <laughs> right. yeah. But you and I are getting older, I would say, you
1: know, I, I wasn't interested five years yeah, ago and now fine. suddenly I'm fine. watching it all the time. You're right. It's a great debate to have. Greg, this has been terrific. Thank, Thank you so you. much. Thank you guys. That was Greg Norman. And Miles Udland, our own Miles Udland, as always. So this was Yahoo Finance Sportsbook. We do it every Thursday morning. Remember, you can rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. We're always looking to hear your comments and feedback. And if you're in the golf world, we want to know what you think about everything Greg shared with us. We'll see you back next Thursday. Thanks. Goodbye.